joining us for another week of the A-League's official podcast. I'm back from a little hiatus. I'm joined by a veteran in Tom Smithies. Great to see you, Tommy. Daniel, welcome back. And thank you very much. And alongside a veteran, a deputant, all the way in the West in Matty Camito, who is uh, smiling already. It's been a debut, long time coming. He's got the 1990s Jurgen Klinsmann-style Tottenham strip on after their big win this morning, and he's ready to go. How are you, Matty? Very good, Garvey. How are you? Going well. Geez, what's the time in the West? Is it still Sunday night over there with the time difference? What's it like? I thought, you know, there'd be a, a little bit of a time before the, the WAY's cracks came out, but I expect <laughs> better from you, Garvey, uh, a local over here. You'll get nothing but support from me, mate, when it comes to representing the West, and uh, we'll do so later on when we talk about the Perth Glory as well, who you have a close read on, along with all other matters in the A-Leagues, Matty. So great to have you on the official podcast for your debut. Looking forward to your insights. You've been involved with Keep Up for a while now in the game in Australia, so I think people will enjoy listening to your insights on the local game. Thank you for listening to the episode of the podcast. It's brought to you by Neds, of course. If you don't know already, Neds is the official wagering partner of the A-Leagues. And when you place a match result bet on any A-League men game, if your team leads by two goals at any point in the match, you'll be paid out early. That is taking it to the Neds level. Please make sure that you gamble responsibly. Stay down. Irakunda driving into the box. Talking about taking it to another level, I reckon Nestori Irunkunda did that on Saturday night, Tom, in terms of creating a headline for himself. He's a player who has had that in patches in the A-League, but I think on Saturday night, the 16-year-old announced himself to Australian football as a player to watch in perhaps much the same fashion as a, a Garen Quoll who has dominated, obviously, headlines in that manner in recent times. I'm not saying he'll be a Garen Quoll, but he's got that feel about him. I mean, that was a howitzer strike to make a massive headline in a very big win for Adelaide United. I think I'd like to go back two or three seconds because for me, as much as it is a phenomenal strike, but he gave the ball away and then he went and won it back. Mm. And then he only had one thought, which was to run straight through uh, the um, the Brisbane defence. And defenders are terrified of that. Players with power and close control. And late in the game, they're tired and he just runs straight through them and then unfurls this incredible shot. The whole package only lasted a few seconds, but there was a lot to unpack in it. And uh, it, really exciting. I know that the club um, are understandably keen to make sure that, you know, he's a teenager and that he's he's allowed to sort of grow and he has a safe space to grow in. He doesn't get too much hype too much you know we've seen so many you know we could compare that to a number of players across the league you know Daniel Lozani's one who's not really setting the world alight and and was going to be the great hope of Australian football and and we don't want to pile too much pressure on on the kid but we can also enjoy those moments and think wow that that is an extraordinary strike I feel feel sorry for any goalkeeper who's who's going to be facing those. Matty your thoughts on on their story because yeah, as I was saying before, I feel like we've we've seen glimpses from him, but perhaps because of the young talent that's rolled through in Adelaide in a striking sense. Think about Alessandro Toure in recent times and Kasuna Yengi. He hasn't always had the game time that he would like. He's also still so young that it's not going to come every week for him, but he's delivered in patches without doing so consistently. And of course, other young players like an Alu Kual, like a Garen Kual have, have taken those moments away from some others. But this was his big moment as Adelaide move up to fourth with a run now that sees them unbeaten in their last four with two wins. So just at a time when 
Maybe a little glance was going Carl Viet's way to see how Adelaide, with all their talent, might settle. They've done so in a big way, and the, the 16-year-old provided that on, on Saturday night. Your thoughts on him and, and where he might land in the future? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of people were amazed that this 16-year-old was doing what he did on the weekend. But we have to remember that he was doing this as a 15-year-old last year. Mm. We saw it plenty of times, you know, equalizers, game winners as well. Um, but I think that the run that he had this year coming in and out of the squad, hopefully that's starting to, the penny, hopefully the penny's dropped for him now that, you know, he needs to work on his work and his work ethic to, to get a, a consistent run in this team and, and, you know, get the, get the plaudits and the applause on a, on a regular basis. I think that what he said in the aftermath of, of the game was telling that, um, he can, he can score goals. He knows he can score. He knows he can run. Um, but he was disappointed with his work ethic. And hopefully Carl Viet has been sort of hammering that down his throat that, you know, if he wants to get to the top, he already has those really game-winning X-Factor qualities in his locker. But it's sort of the rest of it that he needs to piece together to be a consistent name on on podcasts and, and people's lips and, and in the highlight reels. How do you think Carl Viet will manage him in the wake of Saturday night, Tommy? Extremely well, because we've seen that uh, time and time again. I think the time that Carl spent at Football South Australia working with the kids is, stands him in such good stead to understand those those kids as they come through and, and how to be a father figure to them. In the same way that Nick Montgomery does at the Mariners, he, he gets them, he gives them a bit of latitude, but he also knows the boundaries to set around them. We know the culture of that club is good because of you know the the Josh Cavallio that whole that the whole sense that this is a a place where people are allowed to be who they want to be and and the the kids can be kids they can make mistakes he will allow them to make mistakes off the pitch and on the pitch uh, and they all grow and develop as a result and uh, I, I think he is a is a, a terrific manager of of young talent. He's represented Australia at under-17 level. Hopefully, he accelerates to the national team at senior level at some stage. Aaron Kunda, born in Tanzania, another fantastic Australian football story. We watch his progress with even more interest, as we have been doing over the last 12 to 18 months, as it is. I felt sorry for Brisbane in this game. I mean, they're in a rut at the moment. They've lost four of their last five. It feels as if they were unlucky here, though. They dominated the first half an hour, and then it's a fortunate Adelaide goal, the Louis Dorigo strike that cops a wicked deflection from distance then they have a goal disallowed Brisbane which was probably a fair decision but one of those ones that every now and again might go the attacking team's way so it just feels like a night that Warren Moon would look back on and go we're a bit unfortunate and perhaps we're not in as bad of a rut as, as the results are showing I think it plays to a, a broader theme that this year there are no easy beats there are no teams giving it up 15, four, 15 games in for most teams we're getting to the point where in the past we've had it was often the Mariners. It's it's been Newcastle. It's been different teams at different times. Have basically been they folded, and they've turned up to somewhere damage limitation exercise. Uh, it's kind of how Perth started this season, trying to just you know let's let's not let's avoid conceding, and it's all very much about um, a defensive mentality. But no team is doing that. Um, Brisbane turned up to play. Uh, against Adelaide and they could easily have scored you're right it was a lucky goal 
um, that Adelaide scored. And but even then, Brisbane's heads didn't go down. Um, I, I did think it's a foul on Gauchi any day of the week. On first viewing, you think it's a horrible error, and then as soon as you see the replay, it's mm. I think it has to be disallowed. But it, um, I, I was impressed with them. They're lacking. I mean, Joe Knowles. I think his confidence is down. He still hasn't scored, and uh, they're lacking a, an out-and-out goal scorer. And sadly, that's that's what happens when when Charlie Austin leaves. Exactly right. Speaking of Adelaide, before we move off them, a Craig Goodwin, their superstar, one of the biggest names in Australian football, is the subject of A-League's All Access this week. That should be a, a wonderful show, following on from his Socceroos teammate, Jason Cummings, who made headlines last week off his exploits at the World Cup. An insight into Craig Goodwin's life will be must-see viewing during the week, so make sure you tune in for that one. But it sits up nicely for Vanda then, and what a way to bring up your first A-League hat-trick. That is a stunning strike by the Dutchman. Iren Kunda was one of the big subjects I wanted to talk about today, as we all did, along with MacArthur and the situation they're in as a football club after the 6-1 hammering they copped from Melbourne City on the weekend. Before we get into them, though, Matty, any more plaudits you can throw Melbourne City's way? I mean, they had it laid out pretty easily for them because I don't think MacArthur put up much of a fight. But if you do that against Melbourne City, well, you're going to cop an absolute hammering like the Bulls did. Well, I think that, you know, um, Rado Vidicic sort of summed it up very well in his, in his post-game comments that he's letting his team express themselves and, and have fun and, and show, show that they're enjoying their football. I think that this is a squad that over a number of years has been sort of hammered in, in technique and, and structure and tactics. And there's a lot of players that have been there for some time that are sort of being let off the leash now. And, um, I think you can see in the results, there's been a couple of minor hiccups along the way since Rada took over from from Paddy, but it's really been business as usual. And I think on the weekend, you saw everything come together in a perfect storm that, you know, I think that they haven't had a better performance this year, just in terms of the ruthlessness and the sort of sheer disregard for their opposition and, and, you know, picking them to pieces with some back heels and, and flicks and some of their midfielders. I don't even know what position they're playing at the moment. It's so fluid. Van der Ven's growing in, in form and confidence. So is Val and Barisha. And, you know, when you sit down and tune into a Melbourne City game, you know that you're going to watch some slick football. Uh, Jamie McLaren up to 16 goals. He scored a double. Van der Ven is the player that made us all stand up and take notice on the weekend, though. He's had a really good season, um, a hat-trick. He's now got five for the campaign. One thing that's always struck me about the Dutchman, Tom, is, is how clean he is. Whenever he passes the ball or strikes the ball, it just seems to have a bit of a pop about it, as if it's coming off the centre of his boot every single time. His goal-scoring record in Holland, if you look through, and he's not a player that any of us, I think, would have heard of before he came to Australia, it's quite something for a midfielder. They've done really well, I think, with this acquisition, Melbourne City. Yeah, he's a smart player in the way that he uses space as well. I mean, he he uh, has that, that ability to play a really simple but effective pass and then to find the room to receive a return. Um, he, he, and he, he has that the, the, the tackling and the attacking side to his game. But I, I cannot get past how badly MacArthur was defending. If Dwight York thought it was bad before, thank God he wasn't in the dressing room for this game because I think he might actually have had a heart attack. If you look at the second goal, which is arguably the defining goal of the of the game, you know, City have missed a penalty by this stage. Um, in theory, MacArthur should be getting back into the game. And then uh, Van der Ven gets the ball just inside the MacArthur half. There are eight players between him and the goal, eight players goal side. And it takes two passes to cut them to pieces. And no, nobody tracked, nobody ran. And then on the third goal, 
Jordy Bose goes out wide. He gets a ball that's in the wrong place. He's still able to stroll into the penalty box and cut back. Van der Ven and McLaren are coming in. They are totally unmarked. So for all that, yeah, City's movement was terrific, but it was almost like one of those training games where the defenders are told not to tackle. It, mm. it, it was really difficult. And I, it sh- there should be big, big question marks asked about uh, about the team, about their belief in each other. Um, and and a, I, I pity Mele Stojowski, who is a, a terrific guy, to try and reverse some of the defending, some of the structural issues Pity's of maybe a, a strong word, but some of the structural issues that appeared evident in that game, he's going to have to turn around pretty quickly. Yeah, it's such a pity as well, isn't it? After watching this team go on a run in, in pre-season and, and go all the way and win the Australia Cup and things were looking great. You looked at the the forwards that Dwight York had to work with and, you know, you just wondered how Al-Hassan Toure and Daniel Azani and the likes would benefit from, from York coming in and, and taking charge of this team. I think Alexander Sujna is is on his way back to to play, which could help defensively for for them. He's been a big out for quite a while, but um, yeah, just looking at the the preseason optimism versus the mid season sort of trough they're in, and Milos Sajovsky's really got a a tough job on his hands to sort of steady the ship. And you know, finals aren't really out of the equation for anyone, but if it's going to change for them, you'd think that it would have to change soon. Unfortunately, Tom, we, we have to ask the bigger question about MacArthur as a club at this point in time, I think. When you look at the run they're on, they've lost four of their last six, only one win in that time, the hammering they copped on the weekend. But I guess the standout point of a coach in Dwight York who wanted an opportunity desperately, gets it, wins the Australia Cup, is in the top six for nearly the entirety of his short-lived tenure at the club before deciding to leave – and then walks out. Following on from last season where assistant coaches left and Adam Federici left before the start of the season, how concerning is that constant trend at MacArthur for you? It is It is concerning because that we need them to be a, a strong team. We, we had that triumvirate of Sydney FC, the Wanderers and MacArthur really bubbling along and, and the rivalry that creates the sense of tension and, and, and competitive tension in the league, it, it, it could be a terrific thing. And they, they have a lot of potential there. Yeah. The area they're based in um, is a real football heartland. There's Agreed. so many kids play football around there. Um, at the moment, there isn't a sense of a long-term plan. Um, I, I think there are there are uh, mitigating factors. I think Dwight maybe had unrealistic expectations. You know, when um, we talked... I talked with him at the start of the season and he was describing how the things that he had changed at the club. Now, I think the club was actually changing some of those anyway and he sort of took credit for it. But he, he talked a lot about the defensive structure that he put in place and he was teaching his players to ma- manage games. Well, maybe he didn't teach them that well. And if we've seen in consecutive games now that their their lack of defensive structure, etc. So, and that was his job to put that into place. So I think there is that factor as well. But it, in a in a broader sense, it is concerning that this team is is not even treading water. I mean, they're leaking, and it would be with the players they've got. They have they can be so good going forward. There were points last season. I I love and and points play in the F in the Australia Cup. Even in the final, watching Daniel De Silva, the ground he was covering, the intelligence he was playing with, and that's all sort of disappeared a bit. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's it, if I was a Macarthur fan, I'd be really worried. And the club. On the whole, I mean, it, I agree. I think it is. And people who don't live in New South Wales have spoken about this before. Don't always understand it, understandably, because they haven't travelled around that area and they think, "Well, hang on, I thought they had a team in Western Sydney. Why do they need another one?" It's a whole another forty-five minutes down the road. I mean, it is a massive area, 
and there is a big catchment there, and they've got a nice ground that maybe needs a bit of an upgrade, but it is a football-specific stadium in a sense, and they've been able to attract quality players like Daniel Azani and Alassane Toure and Ulysses de Vier and, and others. And quality coaches in Ante Milicic, who was the hottest property just about in Australian domestic football management when he got the job. And then Dwight York, and he did really well. So it feels like they've had so much momentum, but whenever it's heading in the right direction, they fall a couple of steps back. And I think that's the concern for all of us is, is that going to keep happening? And if so, where does that leave the club on the whole? And I think we just like to see them stabilise because there is a lot of potential there. And let's go back to... Like when the Mariners were formed at the start of the A-League and back to when the Wanderers were formed, both of those clubs did phenomenal work in putting uh, shoots down into the local area and being real community clubs. And the crowds at the moment are not suggesting that MacArthur are doing are able to do that. Whether it's uh, what they're doing isn't working or whatever the, the cause is something they, they're going to have to address. But the crowd suggests that they, and they're not bringing in that or not engaging that local community um, above and beyond simply the, the week-to-week football. And uh, that's, that's part of it. We need, again, a, a, they have a big catchment area and all the kids playing football there should be coming to a MacArthur game. And at the moment, they're not. Hopefully they can find a way to stabilise things on and off the pitch moving forward, the MacArthur Bulls. And just quickly, Tom, the link of... Dwight York to Sydney FC to replace Steve Corica, which had been reported in some circles. Have you heard anything more on that? Obviously, Sydney FC have stabilised a bit as we move on to their game. Any more word on that that you've heard? Well, as you say, most importantly, there is no vacancy and, and mm. I think um, there won't be for whatever happens now. There's some some time being bought. Um, the, the mail we had strongly, even before Dwight left, when I, I heard rumours that he wanted to go, was that he wanted to go back to Europe. There are, um, uh, He'd applied, has apparently applied for a job in Scotland, um, according to the, the newspapers over there. And, and I think he wants to get back to, to Europe where he feels more comfortable. I understand he was interested in other vacancies in Australia at one stage. And the Melbourne City job, when that became available, was something that he was looking at. Um, obviously, things at MacArthur weren't all too satisfying for him for a variety of reasons. And that obviously eventuated in the end. So we'll wait and see. But uh, most importantly for Sydney FC and Steve Corica, who has been under enormous pressure, we can't deny that, he has managed to stabilise things with back-to-back wins, and that was an important one over the high-flying Central Coast Mariners on the weekend. Molly wants it, the cross-in, back post is a wonderful ball, and Adam LaFondra just slides the ball home. 3-2, both teams, Matty, down to 10 men, and the Sky Blues took advantage in the second half after going into the break 2-1 down. Uh, Joe Lolly with an important goal, he continues to have an excellent season, and then Adam LaFondra back in form with a double, um, but it was the ball for his Second goal and Sydney FC's third and the match winner from Paolo Retre, which had everyone talking. Very rare that you see everyone running to the provider of the goal in a game of football rather than the goal scorer. But such was the sumptuous nature of the delivery from Paolo Retre. That was the case. Critical win for Steve Corica. Yeah, and Paolo Retre knew it, didn't he? He walked away, arms arms in the air and, you know, beckoned all of his teammates over to him. It was a, <laughs> a, a brilliant assist, a moment of quality. And and I think LaFonda is answering some critics too. You know, I think that I saw him play Perth Glory a few weeks ago and he missed some really genuine chances. And, and the sort of conversation that came out of that was whether it was a, a pattern starting to emerge, but he's answering in style. Um, you mentioned the two red cards and I missed the first sort of 20-odd minutes of this game. 
and I flicked on the TV and, you know, the thing I love about a great A-League contest is that you might get onto a game and it's 20 minutes in, 2-1, and you got <laughs> a red card on either team and you're just thinking, what is going on? And then obviously you get into the halftime and, and catch up a little bit. But that, for me, is is what I really love about a really great pulsating A-League game where literally anything can happen. Um, but yeah, as for Sydney, they're... they're going pretty well at the moment now two wins in a row and and the most interesting thing is you know if if they win the sydney derby on the weekend one point behind the wanderers and you think about how we've assessed both teams this season um to have a one point gap between the two of them really says a lot to me about how we perceive teams and how we put certain pressures and expectations on teams to succeed when really the reality might be a bit different to to what we've been talking about for so long if I was a Sydney fan, I'd be enjoying this, but I wouldn't be getting too far ahead. They just played two teams that it sort of suits them to play. They picked off victory on the break, um, and they're playing a team who are not dissimilar to them in the sense of lots of attacking talent can at times be wide open through the middle. Um, that that can apply to both Sydney and the Central Coast, and that's kind of how the game paid out, obviously helped by the, the red cards. I think, funnily enough, the in my view, the, the Ryan Grant, red card is is straightforward mm. it's a, he pushes a player over who's about to score it has to be a red card um the cult, cult brian Coulter one is much more yeah, um dubious but it gives sydney a way back into the contest and uh in turn numerically in terms of the, the players on the pitch and i think they were slightly fortunate there however some gr- some great goals and and you're right it's lovely to see a player in Palo Retro, you know, see somebody who's, who's always maybe a bit underrated, goes under the radar and suddenly gets a, a bit of time in the spotlight. Hey, Matthew Camito. <laughs> oh, Smithies, you're too kind. Um, I'm not known for delivering those kind of balls on, on a Sunday, but um, maybe I will this weekend just for Paolo. <laughs> you're in the spotlight right now. Um, yeah, the Caltech red card I thought was, was harsh because there was cover. But I guess by the letter of the law, it is denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Not to me. He's running away from goal. And if Max Burgess gets around him, he's one-on-one with the keeper. But he's on an angle and there's defensive cover. Yeah, 50-51 for me. Um, I think if the first one doesn't happen, the second one doesn't happen. I I remember when we did that uh, that little behind-the-game series last year and we spent the day with... Alex King, you know, who I think is the best ref in the A-League. And, and he uh, had two decisions overturned by VAR. And I remember his coach saying to him after the game, the second one doesn't happen without the first. The second one put a bit of doubt in your mind. And I think almost the reverse happened um, with Ben Abraham on, on, on Saturday where he didn't give that first red. It got overturned. And I think he was, right, I'm, I'm going to be sure on this one. And he might have just been a little more, bit more circumspect um, if, if he hadn't... Uh, hadn't had his first one overturned. He just maybe needs Brian Caltech there. Just a, just a shepherd. Just keep your feet. I think Danny Vukovic said it after the game. We've got to be smarter. You know, from that position, the chances of him getting around and scoring are slim. So just what hold we your teach, feet. Why coach the kids don't dive in. He's had a really good season, Brian Caltech. Unfortunately, that was a moment that let his side down a bit. Alex Wilkinson back for Sydney FC. Just the presence makes such a difference, doesn't it? It probably just calms everyone down. Hey, Matty, just gives everyone half a second to relax knowing that the great Alex Wilkinson is back at the heart of the defence. And that's probably had uh, a fair bit to do with Sydney FC's slight form resurgence. Yeah, and I think that when... Jason Cummings scored his second. You know, he was all alone in the box, able to touch and finish. And Wilkinson was tearing shreds off everyone around him, you know. And that's the kind of thing that 
I think if other players do that and they're not as experienced, you know, they don't have the sort of caliber that, that Wilco does, maybe you don't listen, but it really seemed that the defensive line reacted to that brilliantly. Um, and, you know, I think, I think having a player like that, when you're sort of in the mud a little bit or, you know, you're 2-1 down at home like they were on the weekend, could be so important just to steady the ship, a steady head. He's been in all sorts of situations. He's been in every situation in 350 games and counting in the league. He knows what to do uh, when things are not going to plan. And, you know, you can only say that he would have played a big hand in turning that around. I think that also what you need to credit, you know, regardless of, the two red cards, you know, Sydney were trailing 2-1 at halftime with an equal amount of men and and to come out at, from halftime and, and equalise and then go get the winner. I think that, that that says a lot about, you know, maybe they haven't completely turned a corner, but there are definite green shoots there that they're willing to dig in a bit deeper than perhaps they were earlier in the season. All comes down to one word, Matt, accountability. And mm. also for, even before that Cummings goal, Wilkinson was was remonstrating with players and was was reminding them of the, what they need to do. And he is, uh, every coach he's played for, he's been the lieutenant on the pitch who organises things tactically. When a change needs to be happening, it's, it's the coach tells him and he orchestrates it. And mm. he was making sure that players get back to the positions they were in. And um, I, I, I thought um, um, Alex Prosk in the, the halftime chat for the game on Saturday was really interesting as well because, you know, an absolute Sydney legend who and he, obviously... Any player in his situation finds it hard to be critical of his old team, but he was basically tearing shreds off the defence for that. And it, it wasn't Wilkinson; it was um, in midfield letting Cummings run into the box and then and not tra- and not and not passing him on, not for, not tracking. And then so then you've got no man's land, whereas strikers, no one's actually picked him up. And um, and the thing is that Wilkinson saw that, corrected it. It didn't happen again, uh, and and that ultimately is one of the reasons that Sydney won. Jason Cummings up to 10 goals. He hits double figures after his double on the weekend. LaFondra now up to six. So, yeah, amidst some of that criticism, that has probably been fair. His tally's not too bad as it stands right now. He's uh, equal fourth on the goal-scoring charts. Morello lets it run. Clare with the cutbacks. Could build up against Simmons. And here's Amakoto feeding off the scraps. Jesus sets things up beautifully for the Sydney derby on Saturday night, doesn't it, Tom? Because Western Sydney had an important 1-0 win over Western United on the weekend. Wasn't a great game. Crucial three points, though. Moves them up to second. Uh, they leapfrog the Central Coast Mariners amid a little dip in form from Nick Montgomery's side. Sydney FC up to Six back-to-back wins. It looks like a very even contest on Saturday night in front of what should be a, a bumper crowd. Cannot wait for it. I think it, it, the atmosphere will be electric. I, I think it'll be a cagey game to start with because the Wanderers don't like to to go headlong into contests and Sydney like nothing more than sitting off and trying to get you on the break. Uh, an early goal would change all of that. Um, but but it's been so long that at this stage of the season, or it feels like it's been so long that both teams are in contention Sydney you know as, as we said a win could take them to within one point of Western Sydney in second and we we've never had a situation where both Sydney teams have gone at it all the way through the season and been up there and creating that real rivalry that we need to um, to make the season captivating and uh, it, it I, I'll be there I can't I can't wait for it the absence of Ryan Grant will surely be um, sorely felt Retro presumably drops in but that then takes mm. a, a calming influence out of his uh, out of the midfield and yeah, it's all it's all part of the, the the test. Western Sydney are tracking nicely, Matt. I mean, they're just a solid, consistent side under Mark Rood, and they perhaps lack a little bit of flair in the final third outside of Brandon Barella, who's having a wonderful season. Uh, trying to do the 
the team of the season at this point in the campaign is very difficult to do. When you look at Joe Lolly, Matt Leckie, Jamie McLaren, Oscar Zavada, and Brandon Borello's had an excellent campaign. How you try and shape your your front three or your two strikers and wingers, I don't know. But uh, they're solid. They're tough to break down. And they need a little bit of spark maybe. But uh, that should make for a very interesting Sydney derby because we know Sydney FC have some issues at the back. But if Western City don't have that top-class striker, maybe that helps Sydney FC settle a little bit as well. Yeah, and, and Borello scored again on the weekend, albeit ruled out. So, you know, you can't say that his his form hitting the back of the net um, was lacking on the weekend. And he is one of uh, a lot of those players you just mentioned who are eligible for the, the January Player of the Month and and well-deserved on, on his behalf. You know, like you mentioned, no no spearhead up the top leading the line. And uh, Brandon has, has shouldered the load um, really, really well. He looks mature. He looks to be leading the front line, especially when you see a youngster like Aiden Simmons joining him in the front, the final third on, on uh, for his first start on the weekend. Um, but yeah, you just, you just wonder uh, five games and, and three goals in, in January without a striker, you know, it's, it's testament to his form at the moment and he'll go into that derby flying and so will the Wanderers and so will Sydney FC. Um, for the first time since round four of, of the 2020-21 season, we're going into a Sydney derby with both teams coming off the back of a win, which I think will be really, really important to setting this up as a real barnstormer. And, you know, A-League's All-Access was following uh, Ninkovic last time these two teams met. And, you know, having not been to a Sydney derby, um, that was a brilliant insight for me to, to really get the pulsating atmosphere of the game and and the sort of the the fanfare and and that moment when Cassini Yengi scores the winner was captured so brilliantly that you know I think that everyone was watching everyone watching would have got um, goosebumps and you can only hope that there's there's many more moments like that to come this weekend. It's interesting to note that the A League transfer window closes uh, at. Uh, close of play on Tuesday, the day after we record this podcast. I, I wonder whether there's still movement to come. I think we probably would have heard something if if the Wanderers were going to sign a striker. I, to me, they need one, um, but but it's getting uh, dangerously close to the the end of the window. Yeni Inbakoto is filling the void a touch in a goal scoring sense. I think he's been a a nice acquisition for them. But you're right; they probably, if they're going to go all the way and lift some silverware, maybe need a stronger target man option for Brandon Borello to play off. But at the back, they are looking super strong. That back five of Thomas, Gabby Clare at right back, and then Michella, Marcelo, Adama Traore. And then Morgan Schneiderlin coming in, along with Neuenhoff and Amalfitano. It's a really strong defensive midfield group all the way back for Mark Rudin. And we thought that would be the way that he'd want to build things. But they are a real unit at the moment defensively. They've got some great, great players in there. The, the experience of someone like Marcello, it's, he was marking Messi a few months ago. And uh, you know, the, the, the level of, of um, performance that he brings, the, the, the experience of all of those players, they're not, they don't get flustered. Um, they, they, they know what their jobs are. They're, they're really well structured. You'd be not a surprise with a coach like Rudin. I mean, that was his, his job as a player. Um, and you, if... if um, if Schneiderlin really can can start buzzing and and start driving forward, um, and and make them a bit quicker going forward, some the only thing occasionally is they're a little bit slow in moving the ball forward. And um, if they can move the ball forward more quickly, that's really going to open up space for those um, that array of attacking talent that Rudin has. You mentioned uh, Marcello. He is a nominee for the January Player of the Month, which uh, Matty Camido alluded to, along with Matty Lecky. 
Bellin Barisha, uh, Aidan O'Neill from Melbourne City, Daryl Latchman from Perth, Adam Taggart from The Glory, Jack Duncan from Newcastle, Curtis Good as well from Melbourne City, and, and my pick at the moment, Oscar Zavada, who is doing wonderful things at the Wellington Phoenix. Put them 1-0 up away to the Melbourne victories. We touch on that game. Before we go to Perth, Matty, and let you have your moments to, uh, to give us some insights on The Glory, but uh, it was an excellent header from Zavada to put them 1-0 up, and then Melbourne victory got going. Fornaroli equalises an important goal for him, a scrappy one, but one that you feel he needs just to get some confidence back there at the victory. A stunner from Jake Brimmer. And then uh, Tommy Urich, who we haven't heard too much of in recent times, getting on the score sheet. Uh, Tony Popovich needed that desperately. His team still sits bottom of the table, but there's enough time for them to go on a run and perhaps get back into top six calculations. Mm, that that header was, was hit with some authority, wasn't it, Garby? I think that uh, both uh, Oscar Zavada and, and Hiroshi Ibusuki have scored the uh, most lethal headers this season. I remember his Ibusuki's goal in the original rivalry was was hit with similar authority. And when Zavada um, wheels away in celebration of that goal, which was actually equaling Tomahammer's Hem- Tom club record of um, five in in five games, you, you didn't see a way back for victory. And you know the the crowd, which was already quite thin at Amy Park, was was very flat and. I think at that point I was thinking that they'd need their experienced players to step up and, and someone who hasn't done that that much for them this season is Bruno Fornaroli and albeit a, a fortuitous sort of uh, save that fell into his lap, I think that was exactly what they needed and you saw his reaction after the goal, you know, he was pumping up himself, pumping up the teammates, pumping up the crowd and I think that was really pivotal in turning the tide and then obviously as you mentioned, Jake Brimmer in the second half. Wow. Tony Popovich after the game was saying, you know, now like last year when, when Brim is over a dead ball like that, he's going back to the pattern of expecting it to go in. Mm. And, um, I think that that's so great for for a player like Brimmer and Smithies. I know as a Southampton fan, I'm sure that you get it the same with with James Ward Prowse. Whenever he steps over the ball, there's that expectation and and the idea that that Brimmer can can win a game for for you off his own boot from a set piece is is really quite a, a exciting weapon for them to use if he gets back to his Johnny Warren form. Which is a, the, the crucial point, and, and I think what we've seen in in the dip in Jake Brimmer's form is this guy who's still relatively young. Um, a lot of expectation upon him after his form last season where he sort of came good last year to, to the degree that he was the best player in the competition. Backing it up is the hard thing there for, for a, a player. And it's why the great players are the great players because they can do it week in, week out. And I think um, the, the Brimmers, this will be the, could be the making of him to, to dip down as he did, and then to get back to looks like he's climbing back up to the top, and to put a free kick away like that shows that his confidence is rising back up again. And um, I think he, it could be really interesting to watch what Victory do in the second half of the season if Brim is really pulling strings. That win came after Matt Spiranovic retired, which I think it's worth touching on, Thomas. That news during the week because I think he's one of the more fascinating Australian footballers of the past decade, Matt Spiranovic. We know how much talent he's got; that's never been in doubt. And he's frustrated in a sense because everyone wanted him to go and play for a big European club, which he probably had the ability to do and 
be a big name for Australian football abroad. Um, but it didn't seem like he was ever too bothered about that. It just wasn't necessarily something he seemed to be obsessed about, like we all were, which is natural as as fans, of course. Yet he still chalked up 36 Socceroos caps, was still a key part of that 2015 Asian Cup winning squad, was still a key part of that 2014 World Cup squad. So despite a perceived malaise in Mats Baranovic in terms of wanting to achieve the top, he still managed a lot in his footballing career as he bidded farewell during the week. Beautiful player to watch. Such a good defender, so good on the ball, so calm. The ability, the modern defender, the, this is going to sound like a segue, but I remember having a conversation with Bert van Marwijk about the defending in the modern game and because players are so big and powerful that defending is about anticipation and cutting things off at source as opposed to diving into tackles and that's just summed up Spiranovic his ability to anticipate and to to get ahead of a player and stop the ball getting to that player was was so good and I, I'm amazed to think it's only 36 he should have played so many more times mm. um, and yeah, there were there were career choices that we could sit and debate till the, the sun comes up. Um, going to leaving Germany, going to Japan, going to the Middle East, uh, the, the 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 sort of semi-retirement previously, and then coming coming back to play for for Popper, but uh, and only wanting to play for Popper, it seems. Well, and you know he he had some he had some really dispiriting times, like playing in, in the Middle East. He you know really bad injury, not getting any support from his club. Um, had to come back to Australia and got everything rebuilt. Um, struggled at times. I think um, you know we we don't see that really. We just see the gaps when he's not on the team sheet. Mm. And we don't really get to see the uh, the mental stress of the injuries and and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, Matt's Matt's a guy with a fairly relaxed view on life, and he's got a he's got a sense of of a hinterland. He's, he's not just obsessed with football. He's, he's, there are other things in his life and. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe now's the time for him to explore those. Yeah, careers develop in different ways. And, and for him, he obviously went about his career in a different manner to perhaps the prototype that you expect from a player coming through. And, and maybe, you know, finances were something that he thought was a bigger priority. And that's okay. Everyone's got different views on how they, they want their career to go. And there were reports that he had the chance to go to Liverpool and decided not to and took money in the Middle East. And, and so be it. You know, people can make choices for their life as they see fit. As I say before, he still was a key part of Matty as well of that Wanderers team that won the, the Asian Champions League. He still achieved so much in his career despite that perception from the outside that he didn't care all that much, much which I don't yeah. think is fair. Yeah, and you know, having covered you know Perth Glory during the um, Tony Popovich era and that that first season when they they won the Premier's Plate, you know, he only made fifteen appearances in that season as well. But I think being around the team and and watching them week in week out and and dealing with the the players and whatnot, um, he played a, a very key part in sort of changing a, a mentality at the club and a perception of the club. And, mm. you know, he, with, with the other experienced Socceroos, really turned what had been a, a, a unperforming club in the league into the league's powerhouse, albeit for only one season. Um, so in terms of my close following of, of him for that one season, I think that was really telling. And to see him go to link up with Popper again at victory wasn't surprising. It's just a shame that he hasn't been able to get himself on the park for longer because I'm sure that he would have made some some really good memories for, for the victory fans, just like he has for, for glory fans and wanderers in the past. And the Socceroos, of course. Well done, Matt Speranovic, on a fantastic footballing career. Uh, you've certainly given us a lot of joy over the last 10 years or so. Bahaja, Cook was indecisive, and it's turned in! Archie Goodwin, the magic touch! This team sensation brings the game level. 
Speaking of the Perth glory, it was a, a cracking game late on Saturday night, the 2-2 draw with Newcastle. A game that had a fair bit of spice in it, Matty. Uh, maybe it was Ruben Zadkovic up against his old side and, and vice versa that led to that, but it had a bit of that Ruben Zadkovic fire and brimstone in it throughout the 90 minutes. This, these games must feel like a bit of a fever dream over on the East Coast because there are sometimes they're after midnight, you know, it's at an NPL <laughs> ground, all, all hell's breaking loose. And, you know, I think just being a, being a local, I think that um, the difference this season has been telling just in the fact that I think recent developments of HBF Park, you know, what, what once was a hill in front of the shed was then standing area and now seating. I think that the fans have really embraced the fact that they've gone back to a sort of more of a grassroots kind of feel of a stadium. I'm sure that you you know it, Garby, as well, having having grown up here, that some of the best memories of of, of childhood over here would, would have been going to to glory games and standing on the hill or in front of the shed as as a as a young lad and and cheering on with with the shed and all the chants and whatnot. And I think the the fans have really bought into this sort of little period in the club's history, which will go down as a very unique and, and memorable one. Um, I also think that the travelling teams get really sucked into it. You know, I saw a lot of the, uh, you know, shushing fingers to mouths or hands to ears from Love the Jets it. players. And I, I've seen it from from a few teams who have come over here as well. I think the noise from the crowd really, really gets into your ears at Macedonia Park. And I think that it's it's really benefiting Zadkovic's team because the, the players are literally playing a, a 12th man sort of role over there. So why can't they keep it? I mean, we know that Tony Sage and the club have had issues with HBF Park, formerly Perth Oval, um, in recent times. They don't like the financial deal they have there, despite it being obviously a ground that caters far better for the corporates and so on and, and so forth. And when it is packed, it looks much better on television. But why can't they stay there? Why can they break the deal potentially with HBF Park and say, you know what, this is actually a better fit for us? Unfortunately, I feel like they're caught sort of in between two extremes where HBF Park maybe is too big and Macedonia Park for the long haul yeah. might just be that little bit too small. You know, if it was 10,000, 12,000 fans and then, you know, the state had HBF Park to move big games to and then even Optus Stadium, you know, for even bigger games then I think that they'd be a good medium. But I think the club just couldn't survive playing home games for half of the season, selling, you know, 4,000, 4,500 tickets. I just don't think that it's big enough. You know, the 10,000 sort of seat stadium, I know a lot of fans around the league want to see their own team sort of take a stadium like that, the boutique nature. Um, And I think it would benefit a lot of clubs and Perth Glory would be one of them. But yeah, I just think that they're, they're caught in a bit of extremes between the two stadiums. We're uh, we're looking at Matt Camito on a on a Zoom here from from Perth. Is that a tear in your eye? Are you looking? There's <laughs> a bit of emotion in your voice there, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit. You know, it's 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 nice to see them doing well. It's nice to see um, it's nice to see the fans happy. Um, I know that over the last few seasons, the club has undergone a lot of stresses and a lot of a lot of hard times especially under Richie Garcia you know hotel quarantines and and whatnot the players dealt with it the fans dealt with it barely saw their team so I think the for the for the rusted on fans to be able to go to this stadium sort of five six seven weeks in a row I think has been a real treat and I honestly think that they'll be disappointed to to see this run come to an end which is expected to to be happening in a month's month or so's time Sorry, I asked. They probably they probably should have won on <laughs> on the weekend, but that would be selling the Newcastle Jets a little bit short. I say they probably should have won. It was a defensive mistake that allowed Archie Goodwin in for the equaliser. But the Jets are fighting. 
you know, just when we started to ask questions about the toughness of maybe Arthur Pappas as a coach and this team, there was talent there. Did they have enough of a, a defensive fortitude, if you like? They've really managed to grind out a good month here, not just a, a good result on Saturday night. They haven't lost in their last four, only won one of those games, but they've played Western Sydney, you know, Perth away, which is a tough trip. They smashed Brisbane 4-0. They've really settled nicely and they're knocking on the door of the top six as well all of a sudden. This goes back to the point, uh, a nice little segue to I made at the start of the show, that, they, that this is a really competitive season and that no team is throwing in the towel, nor should they, when, when Melbourne victory at the bottom of the table are are two wins off the top six mm. and still got got 11 games, in Victory's case, 12 games to go. Um, th- th- this is a really, really hard season. And just as you think a team loses a couple and they, they might be down and out, and then suddenly they, they produce performance like that. And, and I think it's really important for the rest of the season for the Jets to fly all the way back from Perth going, we didn't throw it away. We got that point. That makes all the difference. It keeps Perth tight above them. You know, if that if that equal eye doesn't doesn't go in suddenly Perth are five points ahead of Newcastle it's only a point in it at the moment the goal difference is very similar they're very close to the top six uh really important for regrouping and, and going again for the last few games of the season Ruben Zadkovic is a January Coach of the Month nominee, along with Nick Montgomery, Ufuk Talai, and Rado Vidisic. So we look forward to the announcement of that winner. Uh, in terms of your podcast this week, uh, firstly, as we said, uh, all access this week on the Keep Up platforms and across Channel 10 is Craig Goodwin. Uh, that will be a fantastic episode, no doubt. Your A-League Women's Podcast, Episode 11, uh, comes to you uh, during the week. Kath Canooley and Grace Gill and the Players Pod this week with Robbie Cornthwaite. That's a great show. Is uh, Sydney FC Liberty A-League stars Madison Haley and uh, Sarah Hunter as well. Make sure you subscribe to all your podcasts wherever you do get them, along with this one, of course, the A-League's official podcast, which we've enjoyed bringing to you this week. Matty Comito and Tom Smithies, thanks so much to both of you for your time and your views on all things Australian football on a domestic front. Very, very enjoyable. Thank you, Gabby. Good debut, Matty. Well done, son. Thank you, You're off and running. Well played. Who needs Paolo (laughs) Retre? Smithies, I was expecting more ribbing from you today. What happened? Just lining it up. So it's a long game. You might come back. He was very kind. Well done, Matty. Well done, Tommy. Uh, Thanks to Ben Waterworth for putting it together. And all of you for listening. We'll be back next week. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. Hold up on a minute. Look nice. Look yeah, we look nice, future looking nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Yeah, we look nice, future looking real nice, we don't need to tell them twice.